name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. The subject this morning just just dovetails with everything that we've seen so far. And the subject, again, is suffering. I told you that underlying all of Peter's first letter or interweaving throughout all these different things that he's going to be saying is this idea of suffering. And so in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Peter's going to go back to it. If you missed last week's talk, I would really encourage you to go listen, either on the podcast or the live stream, because Peter just had some wonderful things to say to us when we suffer, um, how, how we walk through that suffering. And I, uh, I believe this morning he's going to add more to that. He just can't seem to get away from the this theme of suffering. But uh, to do so, I, as we continue on, I felt like I need to go back real quickly and just kind of catch us up contextually because because this is a continuation of actually chapter 3 verses 18 through 20. If you were here, I told you those verses are very hard to interpret with any certainty. They have been interpreted all kinds of different ways. But I shared with you last week, and again, you can go back and listen to the other ways people have looked at those verses, but I shared with you that I thought that Peter meant he was holding up Jesus and Noah as examples of suffering and righteousness and God delivering them. God delivering Jesus by raising him from the dead and God delivering Noah as a preacher of righteousness in his day to the men and women that were his contemporaries. They did not listen. God delivered him through the flood along with his family. And then I shared with you that because of the faithfulness of Jesus and the faithfulness of Noah, God delivered them in the same way as we're faithful to the Lord, the Lord is going to deliver us. And uh, and and. I told you that it's through their faith demonstrated that God would save them. And so for Noah, it was the demonstration of his faith in building the ark. And for, uh, for us, Peter goes on to say it's our faith that's demonstrated in the obedience of baptism. Unless you confuse or conflate the act of baptism, he's very quick to say, I'm not talking about the actual action of baptism. I'm talking about the appeal and faith of a good conscience to God through the Lord Jesus. And so I told you that that is what Peter was talking about last week. In chapter 4, we we begin chapter 4 with these words, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding. Now again, we've talked about this so many times, but the therefore always looks back, and it usually always brings forth application and instructions. And so actually, the, the verse makes it clear that Peter's reaching back to chapter 3, verse 18, where he talks about Jesus' suffering in the flesh. And he says, because Jesus did that, Therefore, and he's going to give us, I, I want to suggest to you a, a threefold challenge that stems out of that suffering of Jesus, okay? And so here's the threefold challenge for his listeners, for his readers. This is a threefold challenge for us today. Here's the first part. Because Jesus suffered, choose to think like Jesus. 
I could say choose to be like Jesus. Peter says arm yourself with the same understanding. So in other words, choose to think like Jesus. It's sort of like what Paul said to the Philippian church in chapter 2. You remember Paul said this to them, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, that though uh, he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. But, but again, the point being, have this attitude in yourself. Have this way of thinking in yourself is what, is what Paul says to the church at Philippi. It's what Peter is saying to us this morning. Think like Jesus. And now all through the scriptures, all through the New Testament anyway, we're told to be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 12, we're told in Romans 8 that this is the goal that God has for all of us who follow Jesus, that we're going to end up being like him, being made in his image. I mean, being, um, what exactly did he say? Uh, yeah, being conformed to his image. So that's the goal. That's what God's doing. So here's the first challenge. Because Jesus suffered, you be like Jesus. You think like Jesus. Now here's the second challenge. It actually kind of defies defines how that thinking is. Again, I'm going to start with verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding. What? Here it is. Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. Here's, here's the second challenge. Choose to die to sin even if it means suffering. Choose to say no to sin, to die to it, to put it behind you, even if it means it's going to cost you great suffering. Now, here's some words of Peter, like I said last week, that are really hard to understand with any kind of absolute certainty. These words have been interpreted several different ways. Some people understand them to mean that if you suffer, it has such a purifying effect on you that you'll never sin again. Um, I, I just don't think that's true. Anecdotally, I don't think that's true. Christians suffer greatly around the world, and they still struggle with sin. So I don't think Peter's trying to say that those who suffer have somehow been finished with sin, so they never sin. Rather, what I think he means is what, again, Paul says to the church at Rome. Listen to him in chapter 6. It says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Christ. This is Paul speaking. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer is mast has mastery over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Like Paul, here's what I think Peter means. He's saying that if you're willing to suffer for Jesus, it is indicative of the truth that you have chosen to die to sin. You have counted yourself to be dead to sin. You have said, I have finished with sin. If you're willing to suffer for Jesus, he says it's an indication that you have finished with sin. Have this mindset in yourselves. Have the same understanding that Christ suffered for sin. Now again, Christ didn't suffer for his own sin. He suffered for our sin. But if we're willing to suffer, he's saying it is that you have finished with sin. Now, Peter, listen, Peter is not making a statement of perfection. 
He's not saying that when you choose to suffer for, for Christ, that somehow you've reached some sinless impeccability, big word, meaning that you cannot sin. But rather, it's a statement of heart that when you and I are willing to suffer and even suffer death, which is the ultimate suffering that Christ did for us, if we're willing to suffer death for Jesus, we have put an end to sin. We have said no to sin. We have said we're going to die to sin. I wonder this morning, let me just wonder out loud. You wonder with me. Have you and I counted ourselves dead to sin? Have we made a choice to be finished with sin? Let me, let me confess here to you. I've made these choices so many times only to renege on them, only to take them back again. But that's what I think Peter's telling us. Because Christ suffered, think like Jesus. Have the same understanding. And that is that you have died to sin, so therefore choose to die to sin. And then practically, here's the third challenge. And, and really, I, maybe this is point A, B, and C of the same thing. But look at what he says. The third thing is choose to live what remains of your life, saying yes to faithfulness to God and no to your own sinful desires. Now, I want to go back and I want to read it all again. It's not very long. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same understanding. There it is. Think like Jesus, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, because you've been willing to say, I'm dead to sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for the will of God. Think like Jesus. Choose to die to sin and then choose practically to not sin anymore. To practically not, to not live for your own sinful desires, but to live for the will of God. Now let's, let's be really honest. Really easy to say, isn't it, Pete? It's really hard to live out. Right, Micah? I mean, this is not something that we, we can just say and it's like it's real easy. So Peter, if you would, he kind of gives us some helps. And so he gives us two reasons to say no to God and yes, I mean, no to sin and yes to God. Here they are in verse 3. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. So here's his first reason why he says, do this. Say no to your sinful desires. Say yes to God. He says, because you've already had enough time to be living your life for your own sinful desires. It's time that you begin to live for God. Now, he lists several things there. It was a long list. Did you see that? But you tell, I tell you what, if you boil it down, it's just two things. It's drunkenness and sexual immorality. It's drunkenness and sexual, immoral sexual behavior. Now, when I was young, these things were pretty much culturally at large considered to be wrong. Today, partying that involves much drinking and much sex without commitment is accepted in our culture today. Reporters for college life, including students and school administrators, uh, health experts, pollsters, this is what they say. College life is a, quote, booze-fueled, sexually charged campus environment marked by emotionless, too-cool-to-care hookups, low self-expectations, and high pressure to be normal by sleeping around. In a survey of 187 students at an East Coast college, 70% of them reported hooking up. That is, having a brief sexual encounter someone with someone who is not much more than a stranger, devoid of any expectation of things developing into any relationship. 
But it's not just high school and college. Drinking parties with licentious sexual behavior has become commonplace in our culture. If you don't go to college, it's true of the country life. And if it's not true of the country life, if it's true in the country life, it's true in the city life as well. And anecdotally, I'd almost say that it's true just in even stretching into our midlife, right? This is basically what our culture has, uh, has accepted. Here's Peter's point. You've had plenty of time to live like that. If you're going to follow Jesus, choose to not live like that. Choose to live differently. Live for the Lord. Now, I've been talking about our culture, but can I just say that even, in, even amongst the, the church, even amongst us that believe, right, embracing drinking parties and sexual license uh, among us, it's, it's way too common among us as well. So here's what I want to say, and I want to say to young people, I want to say to all of us, but I want to say to young people in particular, listen, listen carefully to what I'm saying. Drunkenness and, uh, and sexual license, morally speaking, are intrinsically wrong. They're, they're sinful. And I get it that our, that our culture says otherwise. I get it that our culture speaks different. You know, Jenny, and I won't mention her last name. I, I don't know why her last name was included in this report. But Jenny, a 21-year-old Columbia College junior, said, and I quote, I used to take sex more seriously in high school, but it seems like once it happens, it's like, oh, whatever. It's just sex. That's kind of what our culture says, everyone, right? And many of us have lived that way. And this is, what, and this, is why, this is why Peter says, hey, we've had plenty of time to live that way. Don't live that way anymore. But, but here's, here's the point I really want to make. It is that it's not supposed to be just a thing. Drunkenness is not just a thing. Sexual immorality is not just a thing. Peter goes on, if you choose to fight sin and follow God... Not giving in to your own desires, I use drunkenness and sexual license. He says, this will happen to you. So young people, listen to me, okay? This will happen to you. Verse 4, they are surprised that you don't join in with them in the same flood while living, and they slander you. People will be surprised. Your peers that don't follow Jesus will be surprised. Wow, you're still a virgin? What's wrong with you? Wow, you're not engaging in this? What is wrong? Are you scared? Are you a sissy? You will be slandered. Why don't you get drunk with us? Why, don't, why, don't you, why aren't you hooking up? Or better yet, why aren't you sleeping with your girlfriend? Or why aren't you sleeping with your boyfriend? What's wrong with you? They will, it says they will be surprised at the choices you've made. And they will slander you for them. You know, uh, I wonder, I wonder if this is why those of us who follow Jesus have fewer and fewer lost friends as we get older. Because I, I think two reasons could be the cause of that. One of them is that um, our friends don't want to hang out with us anymore, right? I think that's possible. But, but I think there's another reason also that we can have less and less friends who follow Jesus because because we don't want to be ridiculed. We, we, it's easier for me to hang around with you who... who who agree with me and who live like I do, it's easier for me to hang with you guys than it would be for me to put myself in a place where people are going to ridicule me for how I'm living, right? So maybe that's why we have fewer and fewer friends. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just trying to understand why, why it is it the longer we follow Jesus, we have fewer and fewer friends that don't know Jesus. When we're supposed to be salt and light, we're supposed to be out of the salt shaker into the world, right? Then Peter gives them a second, or gives them, gives us a second reason to say no to sin and yes to God. Verse 5, 
He says, they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. The second reason is that we're all going to have to give an account to God. He says them, right? But I don't, I don't think Peter would mind if I say, hey, this is all of us. We'll all give an account to God one day, you know, the living and the dead. And the reason why you should love God and follow God is you're going to have to give an account to God one day. Because you, you, you had to stand before him one day. Verse 6, For this reason the gospel has also, was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to, the, to God's standards. Now here's another one of those hard places to understand what Peter actually means. Some people link this back to verses 18 and 20 of chapter 3, and they're talking about how Jesus went and preached to dead spirits so that they might be saved. I told you there's just no indication other than this passage that would point to that. To me, a more simple understanding of this is, is Peter's just simply saying, this is why the good news has been preached to those who have already died and those who are alive today. This is why the gospel is preached to every man. The good news that any man who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is why it's been preach to every man who's ever lived, the dead now and the living, so that one day they'll, they'll be judged before God. I think that's what Peter means there. I believe the good news has been preached to every man, in, in which, which Paul calls it evident in creation. Evident in creation, evident with every, within each man. I'm not talking about the good news that Jesus pays for our sin. I'm talking about the good news that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I believe that Paul is saying here, I believe that Paul is, I mean that Peter is saying here, he's saying, hey, the reason why you should live for God is because God has preached the good news to you and one day you're going to have to answer to him. So Romans chapter 1, Paul says in verse 18, he says, anybody who suppresses the truth that God has put in their heart and God has evidence to them in creation, they will answer to God. So two reasons for you to fight sin, everyone. One, and to not live according to your own lust. It's because the time has passed for us to do that. It's time for us to live for God. And the second thing he says here is because everybody's going to have to answer to God. Now verses 7 through 11, you know, Peter takes, I mean, Peter's just, I guess, sitting there writing thinking about what he wants to encourage these people with. 7 through 11 is really a little bit different. It's not about suffering. And so I'm going to skip over it because I want to stay on the theme of suffering because when we get back to verse 12, he's back on suffering again. And so 12 to the end of the chapter are his final thoughts on suffering. And some of this is going to be repeat of stuff he's already said. Some of it's going to be new stuff. But let me share it with you, okay? And we'll, this is go by quick. I'm just going to work our way through the last verses in this chapter on suffering. This is what God wants to say to all of us this morning. Here's number one. We should accept that suffering will be a part of our lives, even suffering for, for Jesus' sake. Look at verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Don't be surprised that you suffer, everyone, because this is the lot for all of us. We all suffer. On Thursday morning, uh, I went to hear uh, Nick Ripkin give some nuts and bolts about missions. And one of the things that, that was just so clear is that so many believers are suffering so violently for Christ, even in this day. Even today they are suffering. And, and we're surprised when we have just the littlest of suffering. Peter says, don't be surprised because this is, this is what, don't, it's not unusual. This is what happens to all of us, he seems to be saying. All of us are going to suffer. You know, people say, why does a good God 
Here's some apologetics for you, okay? Why does a good, all-powerful God allow suffering in his world? Why do we suffer? Why do people who are morally, why do people who love Jesus and are seeking to morally follow Jesus, why do they suffer so greatly, you know? I mean, this, this, this becomes our theodicy. This is a question we have to answer. Why do good people, why do God's people, let me put it that way, why do God's people suffer when God's omniscient, omnipotent, and all-powerful, I mean, uh, omniscient, all-powerful, why do we suffer like that? And you know what the answer is? I'm going to give you the answer. I don't have a clue. I don't. No, I have a theodicy. Let me rephrase that. I have a theodicy. My theodicy is that I believe that God created free moral creatures, and for them to have free moral ability, there had to be the ability for sin and brokenness and fallenness. That's why I believe there's evil in the world. But why does evil happen to you? Why does sin and suffering happen to you? I don't have a clue. But here's the one thing I want to say to you. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say here. This should really impact you. I don't know why an omniscient, omnipotent God allows suffering, but I do know this. That same omniscient, omnipotent God became one of his creatures. And then you know what he did? He entered into our suffering and he suffers right alongside us. So whatever you want to accuse him of, he, he didn't just allow suffering in your life. He entered into that suffering himself. And that ought to say something to you about the creator, right? That he would, for whatever reason, maybe you don't agree with why he's allowed suffering. Maybe your theodicy is different or whatever. God entered into our suffering. And Peter says, you should not consider it because Jesus suffered. You should not consider it unusual if you suffer because we all suffer. Number two, every suffering in our life comes as a test. The fiery ordeal, he says, the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. Every bit of suffering is God testing you. Here's the test. Can you love God in the midst of your suffering? Can you do what Meredith sang about in her song? Can you say, I, I don't understand, but boy, I still, I just love God. I'm going to trust God. He's with me. Can't, every suffering in our life is a test. The Bible does not, the Bible says God does not tempt me. God doesn't want me to fail. God's not tempting me to fail, but God does test us. And here he says that that suffering is a test. Will you love and follow Jesus even you know, even if it brings pain upon you to do so. Number three, choose joy in your suffering. Mike, I think this one's for you. Verse 13, instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. I think I've said this for as long as I followed Jesus. I've said it for so long. I think joy is a choice. Now, I don't necessarily mean you have happy feelings, but Micah, I think you illustrated this morning this point when you got up here and through really sorrow or through just heaviness, you read a different passage that says, choose to trust God, choose joy in the midst of suffering. This is what Peter says. Rejoice in your suffering. Choose it. Now that doesn't make the pain any less. That doesn't make it easy for us to suffer. I am not saying that at all. But I am saying that somehow in the midst of my suffering, I can choose to trust God and I can choose to be content and I can choose to have joy in the midst of all of my hurt and all of my sorrow. I can make that choice. 
Peter says, choose joy, listen, so that you can have great joy when Jesus is revealed in glory. What's that? When is Jesus revealed in glory? We sang about it. It's when he comes again. It's at his second coming. Choose joy so in the midst of that day, man, choose joy today in suffering because it's going to be a precursor to the joy that we'll experience when Jesus comes again. I don't know if you listen to Dick Lane's podcast, um, and I may get his point a little bit off, but this is, this is how the first part really uh, took me off in my imagination. But in his podcast, Dick Lane was talking about when uh, something really bad is about to happen and it doesn't happen to you, and how you feel when you've stepped through that and you're out of it and you're like, whoa, that was, that was so close, but God did something and the joy you feel. And you know what I thought of? Uh, when he's talking about that, he gave the illustration of being out on the, on the river and a storm coming up, and right before his little boat would have been sunk, they made it to land. And he talked about how great it felt to be on dry land. Here's what I thought of. What it's going to be like in the resurrection to open my eyes and know that I am not walking by faith anymore. I'm walking by sight. It's real. I can see it. I can touch it. I can feel it. I can see Jesus and I can see my son and I can see my father and I can and I'll know and I'll know not by faith and again I'm not trying to minimize faith but we walk by faith not by sight there's a difference and I, all I could think of as I was listening to Dick Lane speak was about what is going to be like to step through that veil of death into the resurrection and and know and no, man, the joy is going to fill our heart. I think that's what Peter is saying here. Choose joy because there's going to be such joy, such joy at the return of Jesus and how we're going to feel at that point. Number four, you are blessed if you suffer. Verse 14, if you are ridiculed for the name of Jesus, for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rest on you. I think what Peter's talking about, here's what he's already talked about, which is you are blessed because when you suffer for Christ, you're blessed on the other side. Remember, when we step through into the kingdom of God, God has so many awesome things for his sons and daughters. Jesus said, nobody's going to suffer in this life that I'm not going to restore it so much more fold in the life to come. Remember that? Okay. But so I think he's talking about that. But there's an immediacy about this text too. Do you see that? Here's the immediacy. Because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rest on you. Here's the blessing. When you're suffering... There's something about the Spirit of God. He's going to be with you. He's going to rest on you. He's going to walk with you in that. And I've heard it. I've heard it from people who suffer. I'm not talking about suffering the way we might suffer. I'm talking about people who suffer for Jesus. They talk about the sustaining power of the Spirit of God being on them. And that's what Peter says. You are blessed because God's going to be, the Spirit of God is on you to walk with you and to sustain you and hold you up. Number five, don't suffer because of sin. Verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. Man, if you're going to suffer, suffer for Jesus. Don't suffer because you're being sinful. Don't suffer because you're making poor choices to not be like Jesus. If you suffer because you're a jerk, if you suffer because you're selfish, if you suffer because you're prideful or arrogant, man, that's on you. There's no blessing in that. Don't suffer for those things. If you suffer and lose your job because you're late all the time, 
That's not what he's talking about. If you suffer and you go to jail because you stole something, if you lose your children because you were an abusive or selfish parent, that's not what he's talking about. Let no one suffer for unrighteousness. If you're going to suffer, suffer because you're following Jesus and loving Jesus. Number six, if you suffer for Jesus, don't be ashamed. Verse 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Now, we don't live in a shame culture, so we don't get this. We don't understand the import of what he's saying in verse 16, but let me see if I can help you understand it. Um, Imagine the shame you would feel of being caught doing something wrong. How you would feel when all your friends and family, they're looking down on you because you have done something really wrong. You know the shame, that shame feeling? Can you imagine that shame feeling? Imagine that you feel that shame feeling, you feel that same identical feeling if you're suffering because people have this idea that you're suffering because you've done something wrong. So the the shame that you feel comes on you, not because you're guilty. See, we feel shame in our culture. We're a guilt culture. Guilt brings about shame in our culture, right? But there are cultures that, that are shame cultures, and they feel shame for things we would never feel shame for. We would, if I'm suffering for Jesus, I wouldn't feel shame. <laughs> you know, I'd be kind of pride, pride, proud about it, right? I'd be like, you know, man, I'm suffering for Jesus. And I'd want all you, you know, I'd, I'd feel good about that in front of you all, right? But imagine a shame culture where suffering means you've done something wrong. And you feel the shame. He says, man, don't feel shame if you're suffering for Jesus. Say no to that shame. Refuse that shame. Because you're, you're not, you're, there's nothing to be ashamed. You're bringing glory to the Father. You're bringing glory to the Son when you suffer for Him. So again, he says, don't take on that, that shame. Even though people feel contempt for you, and they look down on you in your suffering, you hold your head up. You hold your head up, and you are, you are blessed. Be filled with joy. Choose joy in the midst of that instead of contempt. Be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to the Lord. Number seven. There's just two more, and I'm done. Our suffering is a precursor to the suffering of those who reject God and His good news. Verse 17. For the time has come for, the judgment, for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who dis- disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? In some way, here's what Peter is saying. Our suffering... Our suffering, even unto death, is, is pointing people, all people, including those who are bringing suffering on us, that they will suffer and they will suffer death. He's saying our suffering is it, it, the beginning. It's a precursor to what's going to happen on the ungod, to the ungodly. And then Peter quotes the Proverbs, and he says, If the righteous are saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly? And I thought about that. Is it difficult to be saved? It's not difficult to be saved, everyone. Jesus atones for our sin. And you know how that atonement gets applied to your life? By faith, you call out on the name. He whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, so being saved is really, really, it's simple. Jesus did it all. We just call on the Lord and follow him. For by faith you've been saved through through faith. It's not the, oh, I messed that one up. (laughs) For by faith... 
For by grace. Thank you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not none of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. But that wasn't even the verse I wanted to quote you. I wanted to quote you the verse in Hebrews that says that without faith it's impossible to please God, for the one who comes to him must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And, and so therefore, the one who calls on the name of the Lord and, and seeks him, and, and seeks to follow after him, shall be saved. There's nothing you do except trust in the Lord, right? It's really easy to be saved. Why does the Proverbs say, with difficulty, the righteous person is saved? You know why? Because it is so hard for us to say no to ourselves and say no to us being little God over our lives and to call on the name of the Lord. That's why it's hard. It's not hard to be saved. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not hard to be saved. It's hard to call on the name of the Lord because we don't want to. Because we want to be God in our life. Let me, let me just ask you before I move to this last one. You know, are you, have you called on the name of the Lord? Will you call on the name of the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I want you. Number eight. Finally, if you suffer when following Jesus, stay faithful and entrust yourself to him for the future. Verse 19. So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. So here's, Paul, here's Peter's last thought on suffering to the, to the readers of his letter. So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Now, I, I know what I'm saying isn't easy. It's hard to stay the course when we suffer. It's even harder to know that if I just, if I just did one little thing, I can get out from underneath the suffering. It's really hard for that. So many, so many believers have been able to escape suffering uh, from their persecutors by simply denying Christ as Lord. I thought about this morning. Can I just kind of walk you through my thoughts this morning? So I'm thinking, so Lord, some dear saint of God who just can't endure the pain of, of whatever, and they say the words their persecutors want, is, is that what God's talking about? I, I kind of don't think so. I mean, I may be wrong. I don't think that's what Peter's talking about. I think Peter's talking about not walking away from the Lord because away from him there is no suffering. It's not, I don't think Peter's talking about the person who is being, you know, I don't think he's, I think he's talking about walking away from the Lord. Peter tells them and he tells us, if you suffer, trust God. Trust in God and trust yourself to Him as, as hard as it. Trust Him. Be, do good. Do His will. Be faithful. And I would urge all of us to do the same. I got two concluding questions. One of them is this Are we willing to place ourselves in a position where suffering might come? You know, I, I told you this when we started talking about suffering either last week or a couple of weeks ago, and I said, are you willing to suffer for Christ? Remember I asked you that? And I said, hey, that's really not a question that I think we can really answer until we get put into the crucible of, of suffering, right? I think that's when we'll know whether we can suffer for Christ or not. So I asked that question again, and, and again, my, my whole goal has been to take Peter's words, and if indeed suffering does come to us, it comes in our lifetime. Maybe not in our lifetime. Maybe, maybe in our country it'll be like other places in the world where believers will endure more suffering. Our children or our grandchildren may endure more, more suffering. 
can we stay faithful to the Lord in the midst of it? I, I believe we can. I know we can, right? I trust we will. But I got uh, this. Here's my question. It's just a little bit different here as I want to end this morning. Are we willing to place ourselves in a position where suffering may come? If, if, if I'm honest about myself, I spend most of my life trying not to suffer. But for most of my life trying to get out of the way of suffering, right? Following Jesus means sometimes having to put ourselves in that spot of suffering. And if we do, we will be blessed if we remain faithful to him. Let's close in prayer. Oh, so many things bouncing around in my head this morning, Lord. But I, I just want to thank you that um, for all our brothers and sisters that are truly in the crucible of suffering uh, this morning. Even as we're sitting here in, in the luxury of this nice building with this temperature control and all. we got brothers and sisters who are in prison. Brothers and sisters who have lost everything to follow you. And they're, they're living in the middle of that right this very minute. Lord, I thank you that Peter's words are so true for them. That, Lord, you're going to be with them. That the Spirit of God rests on them. That, God, you're, uh, you're going to see them through. You're, you're bl- you, they are blessed, Lord. They are blessed. And, that Lord, you're, you're going to watch over them. Thank you for that promise, Lord. We would like to pray, Lord, that you would come again because we know that the persecution and suffering of ourselves and everyone, it, it so hinges on your return. Lord, when you return, all that will come to an end. So we would even say this morning, come, Lord Jesus. Father, as I I close in prayer this morning, I I would just like to ask you to help us, Lord, uh, do two things. One uh, is to be willing to put ourselves in the crucible of suffering, if indeed we might uh, be faithful to you in that way, if indeed we might further the gospel that way, if indeed we might um, just impact people around us in that way. Lord, help us to be willing to step into the place of suffering for your kingdom's sake. And then, Lord, uh, I would pray for all of us, Lord, that when indeed suffering comes to us, because Peter told us it's not a rare thing, it's not something that we should be surprised by, but rather we should expect. Lord, when it comes, may these words of Peter reverberate in our soul. Lord, may they they be there to remind us. Thank you for the word of God that we can carry with us always so that we can read again and again and again what Peter told us about suffering. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.